Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage, live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Can you hear me all right? I can hear me now, I think, in one ear. You yeah, sound good sorry. over here. I have special headphones on today that are preventing me from hearing in my right ear. <laughs> <laughs> good times. Yeah, all right, well, hey, everybody, welcome. This is our first live show of the month of May, right? That's true. Last week we ran a rerun. You know what's fascinating about a rerun show, too, is I got so much feedback this week. You guys did such a good show this week. Thank you. And I was like, I was in Big Sur. I don't I didn't I didn't even have the opportunity to listen. And I forgot that you weren't just doing it with someone else. So I was there I was dumbfounded going, I don't even know what show replayed. I do know now though. March fifteenth. Yeah, it was the one with Wes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Wes. And evidently it was great. Talking about uh, Zillow. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You must have it. got some feedback too. Well, I I requested that show. Oh. Because oh. I thought it was such a good show. I wanted yeah. to replay it. We had some really cool bumper music in it. I remember that. Yeah. I did find myself <laughs> wishing that we had a best of episode that we could play, you know, from all those those wonderful moments. Oh, they do that, like the best of Bob and Tom. Yeah, and mix stuff. in a little We're bit of great content with some funny. We could do that. Have a great two hours. Yeah. <laughs> we should Jim, work on that. Jim, mix it down. We'll mix it down. You go through those past six years of shows and find all the best parts. <laughs> We're just going to come up with a, a show of Jason isms. That, that would be a good one, too. That'll be a Jason ism show. You're going to make a lot of money on that, and I expect <laughs> to be cut in. Seriously. <laughs> have you guys seen that Jimmy Fallon thing where he takes little sound bites of like what's that guy's name brian uh, the news anchor yeah brian williams is that who it is i was on gonna it, say on nbc, yeah, NBC. Brian williams. yeah that guy mm-hmm. he takes little news clips and then mixes all the little words he makes into like a song like a montage oh that's funny i just can't imagine who's scouring through millions of hours of tapes or if they have a program that does it or something that's fascinating to me so talk to jimmy fallon he'll tell you how to do that if that's what you want to do, I'll be, you know, you got uh, him on speed dial, yeah. right? Yeah. Really? I mean, you know, James, it's Jim. Yeah. NBC. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even have to go through. I don't even have to go through like any sort of receptionist or anything like that. It's just Jimmy Fallon. You know, I, it's on my cell phone. Yeah, I got it. He's under Jimbo. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we got a guest in the studio this morning. We're mixing it up a little bit. We usually do the guests in the second hour, but to accommodate hectic schedules, and I don't even know what what it is. I mean, I can only imagine you're jet setting to Paris, but I am for yeah. lunch. Wow, <laughs> just for lunch. Wow. I'll be late. Lunch <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> David cried in for Blakesley. Blakesley, no stranger to the show. Thanks for being with us. Nice to be uh, back. And by the way, can I be on that best of show from my last appearance? Oh, you. We had some good stuff. You're on probably there. at least half of it. I would think I'm the whole show. <laughs> That's funny. I, it was forgettable for me. I don't even remember what we talked about. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Listen you. to the best of episode. Right. Yeah. I'll catch you were me there. right up. Yeah. <laughs> funny. All right. Well, it feels like we're going to have a, a punchy show today. So that's good. I like it when the energy's high. Um, hey, so 
I know in the in the uh, hallway you were just pushing us over to get in here and bring all your topics and tell us what's going yeah. on. And... Yeah, yeah, because it's my show, right? right. <laughs> so I, but yeah, I've uh, I brought you know my usual mix of stuff that I usually talk about here on the show, and um, so I thought maybe it'd be fun just kind of work right through. Uh, the topics here and then we'll just kind of get some of your input about some of these things too sure seem like each time i turned on the the tube this week for the financial news um everyone was talking about janet yellen yeah she's been testifying she's been testifying um it's a lot more exciting than that old bernanke guy yeah you know you've got to give that guy credit you ben bernanke without him i hate to think where we could conceivably be economically i mean his his studies and doctoral dissertation on the great depression were so phenomenally useful in directing us through the crash of 08 and what yeah. happened thereafter because it was insane yeah and there's that movie on um hbo that i think hbo produced it too big to fail and it's a, a kind of a simplified version of some of the stuff that happened and when you look at 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 what he was able to accomplish, the direction he was able to give with Paulson, Hank Paulson, the, the Treasury, the Secretary. Mm -hmm. I mean, they saved, I think, the world economy from the Second Great Depression, which they described as being potentially far worse than the first one. Sure. So have you, I mean, I, I know it's a little bit soon to be able to tell yet, but um, any, from the investment world, any idea of, of what might be changing or happening with this handoff from Bernanke to Yellen. I mean, a lot of the policies and stuff do seem to be similar. Well, I, I guess, you know, they say that she's basically more or less cut from the same cloth. So I think we're getting more of the same. They say she's brilliant. Um, she had a lot to do with the policy that, that the Fed was uh, creating that we just discussed. So I think it'll be seamless. I think it's going to be interesting. I saw a headline about unwinding the Fed balance sheet, taking seven, eight years. That's not entirely surprising. I actually thought maybe they'd try to unwind the balance sheet, all these bonds they've been buying, by simply letting some of them mature over the years, and that's a possibility. Uh -huh. But I think it's, I, I mean, I think the market is showing you by its reaction that it's really nothing's different to speak of. And I don't think the policy will, will be radically different. I don't think they're going to make a right turn. I think they know that that's bad news. Right. You know, all of a sudden we're doing this, now we're doing that. So I think it's going to be fine. Okay. That's my take on it. And, yeah. and we talked about tapering. If I, I'm sorry. To yeah. We talked about tapering in the last show. And right. My feeling was that the reaction to tapering had happened. And if we look at what's going on with this process, I think it's wonderful. It's smooth. It's going well. And what, what's cool about it is as the Fed unwinds these programs that they put into place, in my mind, it's giving them back the tools in the toolbox. Sure. So if something does go wrong somewhere down the road, they actually have things they can work with. Where before, when everything was in use, if something Yeah, every really... man's on the field. You don't have a go-to when there's an injury. Yeah, who do you send out? Right. You know, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be you guys. Although we give it a shot, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they should call and ask me for some opinions just as is. Aren't they? Uh, no. And then Jimmy's not calling? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> I, I'm not positive why. So the, uh, the this news about um, 
the economy in the last couple of weeks here has been pretty rough, I think. I mean, that we joked quite a bit on the show about how everything was just blame it on the rain. I mean, we even played a Millie Vanilli song one episode as it was just cold, snowy, icy. Nobody could get anything done. And that was sort of being scapegoated. This last um, jobs report that came out showed a phenomenal kind of a, I was honestly, I would call it staggering job growth. Well, 220,000, right? I think that was the number. 288,000. Yeah, it was way over. But again, weather played a factor saying that it was pent up demand for jobs. And and so that was kind of one of the things here is, is, um, you know, we had months of, of terrible numbers in a row. And then we had a couple of numbers that were closer to respectable, but still pretty bad. Uh, this is the first month where it's like, hey, if you did that every month, well, you couldn't talk that there's a problem in the jobs market. That's strong. That's right where we need to be. Um, and so kind of this frozen winter here that we're thawing from um, has produced now GDP numbers showing that growth for the first quarter is just sad there's i mean it, there's no other way to look at it only 0.1 percent and um you know range was supposed to be two to three percent and so again we're we're blaming that on the weather um you buy it yeah i think i do uh-huh. yeah yeah i think that there's a there's a general trend towards uh more full employment i think that that general trend general isn't intact I think that that there's a, a point where you have you know an equilibrium and and there's, there's a point of the fulcrum where you get more and more positive um, results they kind of build on each other and I think that's going on and I think you see that in Europe and you see you know China's got some challenges I think one of their challenges in the years ahead will be their their as their economy improves and their wages rise they're no longer the cheap place to build stuff which you're already seeing if you look at where you buy products and then they have to be more and more self-sustaining, but that's another topic. So, sure. um, I think that I think that the Fed's call that the economy is doing okay is is right. I think unemployment continues to improve, um, and I think the quality of jobs as we build out the energy industry and whatnot will improve some too. I mean, that's one of the problems too. It's just a job is a job, but but you want the better jobs. So, um, it's a process, but it's and it's a long, slow process. It's taken, what, five-plus years almost now or five years? Yeah, I feel like in this process you have to get to full employment before you start to see the quality of employment improve. Yeah, and the wages go up, which might put a break partly on the price of real estate. Think so? Well, I think ultimately real estate comes down to people's ability to, to afford the payments, right? Yeah. And so um, it's, it's you know a number of factors, but when they get too far ahead— and the the ability to pay doesn't exist. That's yeah. a natural breaking mechanism. So, um, thankfully, we've got this unusually bizarre, out of whack housing demand. Right. With a true lack of supply. Right. And I was um, I was talking with a, a couple of agents this week about that. Some real estate agents here in town, and. Um, you know, one of the things, sometimes the most obvious thing is just smack dab right in front of your face and you just don't see it. You know how I think it is this time? Um, if you have a mortgage today and you, because you had a little bit of equity or you bought a couple years ago or whatever your deal is, you got some low 3% 30-year fixed. 
And I think oftentimes in these real estate cycles, what you have is uh, somebody that says, hey, you know, my interest rate's 8%, so rather than, you know, refi to get this 7, I'm just going to sell this place and get that one. It's next to a better school. Um, you've got people that are willing to make little trade-ups or trade-downs or move around. We can sort of have this handcuff now that so many people have this 3% yeah, 30-year yeah, fix and are going, point. I'm not interested. You could give me, you know, the this this mansion over here in this part of town and if that one you know just get, giving up that loan that has such value and it's not just perceived value it's true value no you're right so you've got so many of those people that if they have some kind of a mortgage it's a good one now you oh know? yeah i've got and three so, and five eighths i'm not gonna yeah, get that up I, very easily so yeah you're gonna it's gonna take some real careful consideration sure. And uh, so I think that that's a really big part of it. We're going to see that play out in a really big way is people that are just for that reason, their, their plan is to stay put. And so that mo removing a lot of those people from the market just means there's less homes that are just turning over. There's less people making moves within the same community and, you know, whether they're going up or down in size. Um, that's just a huge one. And for the last several years here, um, I, I haven't really pointed out that that was just such a driving factor. The easy one to blame is all these construction numbers, a lack of construction. You can't not build homes for seven years and then expect you've got enough supply to meet basic demand. So there's a couple of things here that sort of create this, um, the run up in price. And I think ultimately, um, it's, it is a little bit disconnected from the wage thing that you're talking about. I don't see actually um, any shaky ground ahead at all no, in real estate. But don't you, don't you feel that the, the, the rate of increase in price, and you mentioned some, some really good points. There's no inventory. There's been no building. You know, People haven't been moving around, but there are more houses created. A lot of people got out of the housing market, yeah. right? Some of them will come back just like because, you know, in the stock market, every time we have a, a dislocation in the market or, a, a, you know, a, a bear market or a crash, which is thankfully and very often, I'll never do that again. And people eventually <laughs> get comfortable and come back. So there's a lag time. Well, all, then you hear about stuff. people making some money, too. It's like all these giant fans I see running around right now. <laughs> I didn't know those guys had so many fans in town. But you start hearing about, hey, the Dow had its best close ever. Or some guy saying, hey, my 401k went up 15% this year. And suddenly people go, hey, well, I'm not going to miss that boat. Let me in. Yeah, you know? <laughs> even, even though five years ago they were jumping off. Right. The boat. So there's a lot of stuff. But I just think that, that there's a natural rate where if the price of real estate goes up or anything goes up too quickly, you can't, you can't either A, justify the price, or in, in the case of this cycle, my hope, and you guys would certainly know better than I, that the bankers will say, hey, you know what? You, that's a great home for you and your family, but you don't fit the qualifications, and this time we're not giving you the loan. Right. How much of that? I mean, how much of the standards are still extraordinarily tight? Is it you want to know up? what the big difference is in in doing a loan today? Is um, seven years ago your dog could get a loan, and uh, I I say that it, it's true. 
I mean, you no credit score, no social security number, no residency status, no income, no assets, no down payment. Those attributes together made you a great could get you a loan. Wow. So if somebody came in the door, it was more about, well, what's your motivation? Why are you here? Well, I'm here to make 40% this year, just yeah, like yeah, everybody yeah. else. That's insane. Um, really today, is. people come in and the conversation is very different. Yeah. Um, we start with just the mechanics of, let's we got to just go through the matrix and every component of it. Your income with the job history, the averages, explaining fluctuations. If there's more than a 10% decline in somebody's income year over year, we bring in additional years to analyze whether it's a trend or a fluke. And as you can imagine, it's every turn we've got an additional third-party service or some sort of fraud prevention, something or other that's you know, got some fancy acronym introduced by some financial reform bill that forces us all to do this new thing. And we work our way all the way through the list. And at the end of the day, somebody's told, um, you know, like if I call a realtor and say, I met with David this week and I pre-qualified him, he's, you know, right at about $400,000. If you really pressed it, you could go to 405. And if you go beyond that, I can't help you. And that's very different than what it was a sure. few years ago. So people are going from my desk out into the field with a very defined set of numbers. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, interest rates just making that little one pointer jump that they oh, made sure. a year ago. Um, that took a little while to sort of soak in right, because right. there was people that were told, Hey, you're a four Oh five guy. And then I had to call that guy back and say, you know, bad news. We got involved in this taper thing. Market sort of reacted and corrected a little bit. Rates only went up by a point, but your payment going up by that right. $180 a month now means that you need to, you know, cap your limits at like 390 or something. So it, it had a little bit of an impact, but overall it's totally settled in. And they're still um, really good rates. That's phenomenal. You know? And we have, I mean, we still have people coming in to refinance. Yeah, 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 as surprising as that is, the the problem is not it's not rates. It's what you're saying. It's affordability, and with that, the rebound in home prices now in major metros, two thirds of homes are unaffordable for the average, average person. That's true. Or homes are unaffordable for two thirds of the average people. You get yeah, well, I mean, you can sixty-some <laughs> percent of people can't afford a home. <laughs> you can prove anything with statistics, Dan. Three quarters of all people know I'm that. I'm attempting to say the same thing, just in three different ways. I <laughs> like it. I get what you're saying, and all, all, all. My only rebuttal to this would be: take me to the town where the homes are sitting there for 90, 120, 160, 200 days on market. It, I yeah I I get what you're saying but but with low inventory it's not as hard to move them and, and bam and now the, you're hitting it on the head the except people, that you have a, a smaller number of buyers you need to so unless you flood inventory in one of two ways yeah taking homes away from today's homeowners some yeah. fashion yeah. or another or building you start dropping them in with parachutes we're not we're not solving that demand problem and so um, you know. Yeah, the, the investors have acquired more homes. Um, we know that to be true. At the same time, statewide, cash sales last month were 42%. 
So the houses that are moving, and a lot of those are people that are buying owner-occupied homes. Mm -hmm. These guys are deploying wicked amounts of cash. Well, you had BlackRock, if I remember it was BlackRock, with $9 billion when they bought 20, 30, whatever the number was, thousands and thousands of homes right. with cash from the foreclosures. But what's interesting is I would, I would liken what you're describing to the employment market, where people will um, do with, with, they'll cut back, and then they, do with, they make do with what they've got until they know the economy starts getting better when they fully maximized their uh, employees at the lower level, then they'll bring in temps. So when you start seeing temps rising, you know economically that there are more, uh, more there's more work, but they don't want to buy, they don't want to not buy, but they don't want to uh, uh, hire full-time people because the full-time people then um, are a, a full commitment. Sure. So when the temps are maxed out, the economy is better. Then they start bringing full-time employees in, and and that's a long process. So unemployment and employment itself is a lagging indicator. And I would think building, you could make the same analogy or correlation to that with all the foreclosures and cleaning that up, and then people waiting for prices to rise. And then you get to this point, and now people believe there are enough new employees and people willing to buy to start building again, yeah. and then you've got to go through the whole process of permitting and getting the building done, and it's not fast. It takes years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then you arrive back at this um, thing. This comes up, I, I guess I probably bring it up pretty regularly, but one of the problems today, if you go sit down with a builder, is that a lot of these homes that are just like the one-off home in town, given the increased costs of land and permitting and building and taxes and uh, just the the demands of the quality of construction, it's difficult to build one of these homes for um, what they're selling for. So that means the profit for that builder is still not there. And it leads way to the kind of building that's happening today and the places that it's happening is where you can throw in big tracks at the lowest price per unit possible. Mm -hmm. And that attention of those big builders is in other places. It's not quite here. So, um, like I said, I don't see at any point, any time in the near future where real estate is going to have any sort of a value trouble. Um, did it go up too quick? I don't know. I would call I mean, that the bounce off the bottom. Yeah. Well, the bounce That's off the I've bottom. That's what I've been saying for years. The, That's what I call it. I call feds, it the stock market that way. Everybody's been saying that the Fed's actions here have sort of um, created this like holding a beach ball underwater kind of thing. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I, it's, yeah. a, it's hard to do. And, you know, imagine all the like the movement left to right and up to down and all the energy it takes to hold that underwater. And then eventually it's coming up. Right. And that's what, you know, I, I feel like that's kind of what some of the fear mongers want us to believe is to there's always these onlookers that are saying, oh, yeah, you know, that oh, it, it went up too quick in value and it's going to fall like it did last time. And that the, the Dow's increases are based on nothing more than, you know, just this dismissive thing that's supposed to leave you feeling fearful and unconfident. Um, I don't think there's any reason whatsoever to to have a lack of confidence in housing at all. No, I totally agree with you on on that. That, on, that and on bounce. The stock market. Dan's been using that bounce terminology for a little while. I thought he coined it, but evidently I'm sorry, not. I was here first. <laughs> the, uh, but it is one of those things. Though, I was like, well, when all of a sudden, if you're the only guy in town selling widgets. 
kind of get your price for it when everybody in town is selling the widgets you got to drop value and sell for way less right and that's what happened with housing so though you may you may be able to say it went up 20 percent last year and that was that was too much too fast well how undervalued was it and we oh, I definitely agree. know from the cost of construction to what these homes were selling for in 2010 that it was laughable i mean literally they could have been disassembled and sold the lumber for what you know that used lumber and the used appliances and stuff for what these homes were selling for so some of that little the catch-up we just got is that bounce oh, saying, i agree we fell below the true bottom and you know and the people that were had the guts enough to go out and buy those things in 2009 and 10. um i i saw a guy this week that's selling a house for a two hundred thousand dollar profit and he, he just it was because he came out and bought then when the perceived value of real estate was zero yeah and you know i think you're right and and my comment would be, what's interesting, there are a couple of things there. My comment is, of course, the stock market is, is more efficient in the sense that it happens like that. Sure. But real estate doesn't. But I think the real estate market was definitely way oversold like the stock market can well, be. Well, let me go install tickers on everybody's front porch. I've always wanted to do that. And I've been if using you could that for come years. home from work and go, yeah. oh, man, yeah. the house is down 8% today. This is ridiculous. Hey, guys, it's time to do a commercial break. <laughs> or is it untime? Jim untimed us. Yeah, sorry about that. It's fine. We need to do one anyway. It's been a half an hour of listening to these guys ramble. <laughs> us. <laughs> Those All guys right. ramble, huh? All right. Hey, guys, if you want to call in and ask a question or share a comment, you can. 543-8830 is the number. We'd love to hear from you. Weigh in on the conversation. We'll be back after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Welcome back. Yeah, that's a, that, a tasteful selection for Mother's Day tomorrow, Jim. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, a little bit slower than the energy level. I mean, we're like running on a like a nine or so. You just brought us to like a four or <laughs> yeah. something. We need this was when we needed to come back with like one of those heavy rockets. Oh, you know. okay. I should. Okay. Yeah. I know. But happy Mother's Day, everybody. Yeah, happy Mother's Day to everyone. Thankfully, I'm not called a mother too often. <laughs> <laughs> we can fix that. I'm sure you can. So, uh, interestingly enough, um, you sound a lot more uh, upbeat about the economy than um, than most folks that I talk to lately. And I, I wonder, uh, is this because you're a cheerleader by profession? Or is no. this because you're an optimist and just want to see this play out this way? Well, or is this because you're tuned into paying closer attention than most folks are and, and seeing enough signs add up now that you're a believer? You know, I've done this a long time what I do. I'm in my 31st year. And, um, you know, I did 17 years of talk radio, and I got to interview some phenomenal people, you know, as I mentioned in the last show, including two Nobel Prize-winning economists. And yeah. On and on and on. So I learned a lot when you get to talk to people like that an hour a week. And then if you do that and then you, you gain your own sense of, your, of who you are, and I tend to be an optimist by nature, but I'm, not, I'm, not, um, I'm also a pragmatist. And a realist, I think. So I just think that when you look at economics, there are too many people that focus on short-term stuff. And oftentimes what you hear about and, t and they talk about in the news and so on is short-term stuff. And I look at the world and what's going on in the big picture over the long term, and I think, wow, this is an unbelievable time. Because there are things going on uh, in so many parts of the world that are so positive that if you stop worrying about one quarter or two quarters and you look five and 10 and 15 and 20 years out, I mean, 20 years from now, we'll probably have one to three billion more consumers. Yeah. That's a massive change. Yeah. Now, it presents challenges. I'm not a Pollyanna about it, but that's an amazing opportunity for people here and all over the world, for the quality of life to change all over the world, for businesses to participate 
you know, you talk about the, t the tech companies. We were talking about that, what's going on with them, and maybe it's just cyclical rotation from one sector in the market, but that's short term. It's hard to think that companies like Apple or Oracle or Samsung won't be selling more phones or products 5, 10, 15 years from now. Look at their numbers. In Coca-Cola, a year ago, they said we're selling 100 million gallons a day. Jeez. A day. And if you add and double the number of consumers, and they go from 100 million to 200 million, no wonder Warren Buffett likes them. Yeah. Okay? So it's, it's how you view it. And I think you look at the energy situation here in the U.S. That, many people think, if you really look at it, and I know there's some debates about it, is a game changer. When you talk about us going from being ex or importers of massive amounts of energy, sending billions and billions and billions of dollars out of the country daily, weekly, monthly, annually, year after year after year, and now all of a sudden we're selling it? What a difference. I mean, that's just enormous in so many ways. So when I look at and say I'm an optimist, I, I, I think there's a lot of reason to think this is a really remarkably unusual period, and, and there'll be ups and downs. But if you look in 2025, you guys look at where the markets are and the real estate market is and what jobs are like and how many people in the world have food and have medical care and clothing and schooling. Um, yeah, there'll be a lot more competition, but at the same time, I think there'll be amazing amounts of economic growth. And we're watching all this evolve. And it's a one-time deal. Yeah, and I was going to say that um, technology seems to have changed that curve pretty radically. Oh, my God, the, yes. the way that products are evolving so rapidly mean that I can't even begin to fathom what what we may see in 2025. And that's right around the corner. So is it, are you saying that because the world's so connected now, that's why it's a one-time opportunity? Because the world's been, the population of the world's been growing since the not, world started. It's not the growth <laughs> of the world population. It's the fact that the, and so when I refer to growth, I'm talking about the world evolving into one more or less common economic system, capitalism. They're all copying us, which says we're obviously not doing something wrong. And what I mean is, uh, it, it's it, in doing so, you're taking away poverty. My hunch is you'll have whoops, fewer wars. Uh, I think that that it's really a remarkable time because, you know, I used to interview a guy one, about once a year named Mark Mobius. And Mark Mobius runs the Franklin Templeton Emerging Markets Funds, and he travels, I don't know if he still does, he probably does, 10 months a year, he's in countries all over the world. When I would call him from here, KVEC, 20 years ago, or he would be in, in South America somewhere, he'd be in Eastern Europe somewhere, he'd be in Asia somewhere, and I'm calling him, and he's picking up the phone at 4 a.m. there or whatever and doing a live interview with me. And he, I remember him talking about, you know, we have, we're getting up to 1 billion consumers on the planet. Okay, so at that time, there were 6 billion people on the planet. So yeah, your point is right. We're now over 7 billion people on the planet, but we're also more than 1 billion consumers. We're probably 1, 6 to 2. And if we're at 3 or 4 or 5 billion by 2025 from 1 in the 90s, that's an astounding change. And once they become more mature economies, then, then that's the, that's the change I'm talking about. That change from once they realize they can't live without those Levi's and that Justin Bieber CD. That's how you know we've done it. And a gallon it. of Coca Cola. And a gallon of Coca Cola. Yeah, yeah. You know, in India, for example, they have problems with diabetes. So the mutual fund companies, I know American Funds, the group I use, has gone into India and they've bought uh, not into India, but they buy companies 
that are related to treating diabetes because of this stuff in our diet. Are those companies by chance owned by Coca-Cola? Because that would be, that is just a brilliant business plan. You bring a product into a country that spikes everyone's blood sugar and causes diabetes, and then you send in your diabetes team shortly thereafter. to. You realize how evil that sounds. I'm kidding. It's not. It worked. It worked for big tobacco. It's yeah. that's not. Yeah. That's no, not. I'm just kidding. Far off from like. My uh, hunch is no. Okay. But it was your theory. It's, be it's, it's an not owned by Coca-Cola. It may be his nephew, but he yeah. he just. It yeah. was only because he was smart enough to see it coming. And then McDonald's <laughs> could buy a drug company so that they could they could be involved with, right. with you know heart disease and so on. But I think that the, that's the <laughs> that's the change. And I shouldn't say that. That's probably not accurate, but um, I'm no expert on McDonald's food. But that's the change I'm talking about. The world evolving to where you have more and more people living a higher standard of living. And if you think about China, I mean, China, they were basically almost all of them living off the land and the farms. And, and now they're all moving to big cities and that presents other challenges. But that's an enormous change. So if you're an investor, if you're thinking about and being invested at this time in the evolution of the planet, then that's kind of amazing to me. So everywhere you look, all sectors, everything's growth in the forecast. I or don't is know. there an area that's better or worse than others? You know, it's not the, I don't do that. You know, you can look at anything involved, I suppose, with infrastructure, anything that's fundamental to um, life, life on a daily basis that even in a tough market, people will still need, you know, food, clothing, probably things related to education, uh, technology to some degree. Peripheral items become more difficult in tough markets. But with all this going on, it's tough to imagine the great companies not, you know, doing well. So you want to pick companies or be in funds that know how to participate in this global economy. It's, it's, but it's really an unusual time. There'll be a time when they're not building all these economies. But, you know, you have, for the first time a year ago, someone came into our office and presented the fact that they now have an Africa fund. So if you think about the chain of where economic growth would go, to me, Africa was last. And I thought that was, you know, am I going to even be practicing when that happens? Well, that was last year. That Africa, now you can invest in Africa because there's more business going to Africa to do what they were doing in China. So it moves much more quickly than one would imagine. Eventually, they all have jobs. They all have better wages. And with all that means that, that wages and things can also come back here because it isn't worth it to ship it out. There's a fascinating article this week on um, the Wall Street Journal that was describing one of the big differences in this recovery and in this really in terms of housing, that the return of people's equity and folks growing equity that did buy a house a few years ago made a smart play um, is showing that the the share of cash out refinancing in this little run up of equity is is well below the norm um, and it nor I guess the idea is that normally home price gains could spike economic growth because of a perceived wealth people have sure. hey look at that sure you know I, I got 300 grand of equity in my house. Of course, I can drive a BMW. Is you that know? the bank, though, not allowing it? Is Are those the lenders saying we can't do that? Um, I'm going to say no. And I, I only hesitate in saying no because are the programs harder, more conservative, and, and fewer and far between than they were years ago? Yeah. Everybody will agree to that. However... 
it, it's shown statistically that these loans having been offered for the last couple of years don't make up the lion's share of the, the loan volume that's happening. People that come in to do loans today, um, close to 40% of them are electing to put cash in to their refinance to lower their interest rate, lower their balance. Um, and they're also electing um, for no other reason than their own discretion to take shorter loan terms. Sounds like they're not wanting to make the same mistakes they made before. But what's interesting in, about the point you just brought up was the fact that I saw a headline this week talking about instead of people doing that, you know where they're getting money? Out of their 401ks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they're using those instead. I mean, uh, you know, to what degree it's impacting the economy, I don't know. There was a proposed law um, a couple years ago that would allow people that were facing housing trouble, um, imminent short sale or foreclosure, that they would be able to tax-free get into their 401k. And I remember at the time saying, that is the stupidest thing you could let somebody do. Um, I Thank God it didn't actually go down that way, but... Um, there, there have been a lot of people even coming through our office that um, are, it's like a popular thing right now. People believe that taking money out of their 401k or borrowing against their retirement plan for down payment is a, a smart thing to do. And it, that's always a tough pill to swallow. I Doesn't that go on the loan app is are you borrowing money to sure. get the loan? So that's kind of a, you've got to qualify with that, with using that stipulation. Yeah. What do you tell them? Um, I, first of all, always tell them that I'm not a certified financial planner and nor am I a tax expert, but from what I understand, the only tax free money that you're going to harvest out of a retirement plan is going to be a Roth IRA. I, there's a, I guess there's an exception of about $10,000 right. you can right. take tax free right. to put towards the first time purchase of a primary residence. Um, most of the people that are coming in to, you know, buy a home and talking about taking money out of some retirement plan or other, it's rarely a Roth. You know, they've yeah. got a simple plan or a 401k or something. It's just not a Roth. And so I tell them time out, unless you know for sure that's a Roth, you really need to go get some sound counsel, um, borrowing against it. Uh, I don't know that I have as strong um, an opinion on that because most of the time you're paying it back with interest and you're earning the interest yourself. But it does take it out of the market. But it does take it out of the market, which is, I mean, the the big benefit in doing these things is the years in market, right? You make right. small contribution. It's that longevity right, right. of and the compound, market. compound, you know, time value yeah. of money. Right. So, um, but as a rule... I think the general idea is that it's not a good idea. Right? It's a if you're if you want to be able to go buy yourself a house, um, you should be in a position financially where you can afford it. And the mortgage today is usually a little bit more than the rent was, so you should have been able to be saving that differential if you understand the the budget impact of owning a house. Um, and then, uh, as you guys well know, owning a house is also expensive when those things break and, yeah. you know, sit back and talk about, you know, like I'm staring down, uh, my house is going to need paint. And I know that I'm probably a couple years away from having to paint the whole house and, you know, that's going to be six to 8,000 bucks. Oh, and sure. so we're preparing for that now. 
And so if you can't budget and work towards those things over the long term, um, you need to hit your 401k just to get your foot in the door. How are you going to pay that right. back you and have the maintenance and all? I mean, it, you're kind of setting yourself up yep. for a, a wonky little slope. So again, I mean, that those are the kind of conversations that are happening in, in the lending offices today versus yesteryear where it was like, hey, if you can fog this mirror, we got you a great loan. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, and, and as a, it's very different. As a financial planner, a certified financial planner, I, I totally agree. And I think that people, when they retire, should have some source of income and then they should have a nice large pot of money. And if you deplete the money and put it in the house, then when you retire, how do you get the money out of the house if you don't have the access or ability to rebuild your pot up? Sure. So, um, I mean, you can borrow from 401k and take up to 30 years on a primary residence to pay off the loan. Right. But, okay, so you retire again. The money is really not in the 401k. So it's, it's a trick, but I even had a client come in and they were gonna, they were gonna have, I think, 150 or $200,000 in pension income, which, you know, you could live paycheck to paycheck like that. Except I said, look, you're working for five more years. During that five years, I want you to build up as big a pot of money as you can so you have flexibility in every sense of the word when you retire and you're not living paycheck to paycheck. It's important no matter who the, what the circumstances are with rare exception. Yeah. Well, don't you just when you retire then don't you just pick up and like move to like florida or something where it's cheap <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think i will be will you i don't want to <laughs> i mean people what's interesting is when people retire most of them don't tend to move even though they think about it i've certainly been through plenty of meetings where people talk about moving here moving there i had one couple they wanted to move somewhere in nevada which had all four seasons i said have you been there in winter time <laughs> yeah. And they went there in wintertime for a couple of weeks and came back and said, we're not moving. Right. We're buying a home in Atascadero and moving out of San Luis. So, you know, you have to really think these things through. The other thing that people tend to think and, and really tends not to be the case if they retire successfully is their tax bracket does not change. It tends to say the same. So when you think, oh, I'll take the money out and I'll have a lower bracket, if you're successful at retirement planning, you typically don't have a different bracket it's the same oh so i can look forward to always paying way more than i want to absolutely perfect all right what do you <laughs> want to talk about now <laughs> paying me instead of the government i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah that, they're fine segue tell us about that so let's talk about the stock market how about that okay you asked me about the dow and i think that the, the, the dow and these these um new levels or new records are to me I wouldn't be I wasn't going to be surprised at all if the indexes continue over the long term to hit new records with some obviously some ups and downs along the way and that's really predicated on the discussion I was having or we were having that is about the global economy changing and that's I think why you'll continue to see because these companies should make more and more money so then is it freaky that the Dow posts its, I mean, closes at its biggest week ever, and then you got the NASDAQ takes a huge decline, and the decline this week in the NASDAQ is scapegoated to be a sell-off in, in small cap because of a, a lack of belief that the government is going to stand by in the economy helping that that small growth in there. So I, the Dow is more representative of bigger markets and global markets, and the NASDAQ, right, is our home turf. So you got 
the the big picture getting celebrated and then the small guy getting pinched because it looks like the support's leaving. I mean, well, but you get that you can turn the table around and say there are times when the Nasdaq is doing great and the Dow isn't doing as well. Those are the short term things in the market that I don't honestly pay attention to or try to you know figure out. What I really care about for my because you know after thirty years, if you really think about all the stuff that I've seen and and help clients through. There have been so many of those moments where there's a little of this or a little of that, and something's up and something's down. It's really more the big picture. That's how you make money. So do I think there's a reason that those companies in the NASDAQ, and it's really a barometer, right? I mean, if you don't buy the index, what the NASDAQ does isn't completely relevant, but it's a barometer to that area of the market, that segment. And if the economy is doing well and we think the world will grow, and there are great companies in the NASDAQ or in the Dow or in the S&P, and you own some of those companies, they may be down in a year, 10%, 20%, but I would be surprised, if not shocked, that if in 10 or 20 years they weren't up quite a bit more. So there seems to be a disconnect for me a little bit as, as we're talking about companies looking more to global growth to Sure. <clears throat> you know, for their their company succeeding mm -hmm. in the future. Why does it seem like so much of the index indices, the Dow, the Nasdaq, it's so dependent on on U.S. data when we're talking about global economies? At what point will the markets quit reacting to what Janet Yellen says or to what, you know, pending home sales numbers were and start reacting to bigger picture things since that's more what those what the Dow is representing is, is the bigger picture. If you look at charts, there are a couple of charts, and I have them in my office, and someone put them out, and they're a little old now, but they still make a point. And they show short-term volatility in, in the S&P in this case, but it really could apply to any of these markets. You see short-term volatility, and it's choppy, and you look at it on a day-to-day -day basis. It's kind of amazing how it looks, you know, like a radio wave or a sound wave when you're, you're cutting a commercial here, right? But if you take then that same index and smooth it out and say, where did it end up 10 years later, 20 years later? It's a much different looking line. So um, the news gets the market to react. And I, I like to say that, that, that the uh, market reacts to the short-term stuff and it's choppy, but the real values come with the economics. And the economics are long-term. So I don't think there's any way you can really talk about investing and not look at this whole global scenario anymore with these, particularly with big companies or anyone trying to participate in all this enormous growth because such a huge percentage of these companies' sales is now outside the U.S. I remember a few years ago, you'd look at Qualcomm, a company in Mexico involved with, I think it's chips for um, cell phones. 95% of their sales were not U.S. sales. So when you know there's more and more of that coming, you have to look at the whole global picture to know whether you should be optimistic or sure. not. I mean, that's the way I view it. Now, in your business, in a sense, what would, what would affect you? I guess things around the world that could affect interest rates, that could affect mortgage rates. But here, you're far more local. Right? Oh, definitely. You know. Well, and lately, you know, lately we've actually been, been experiencing slightly better mortgage rates over the last a month or so. It's been improving. And talk this week is that 
now there's this shortage and that's why rates are going down is that Profit there's not margins. enough mortgage-backed securities getting put together because volumes are down because there's not enough inventory and refinancing yeah, kind of really dried up. Uh -huh. And so now what you've got is these companies and, um, you know, I, this is one of my favorite, favorite things to tell people is never underestimate self-preservation. Fact. These guys are figuring out how to lean out offer better prices to the consumer to keep business coming through the door. And so we're seeing um, now it's it's sort of like begging more volume. And uh, maybe maybe the trend on rates is to keep going down in spite of other things. I mean, when you hear the news in the economy, the a great jobs report, these kind of things should be pushing, you know, some upward pressure on interest You're rates, right. but they've been declining in the eye of that. I mean, last week on Wednesday, the 10-year yield touched down to 2.59. Um, that was phenomenal. We finished up yeah, yeah, you're right. right as tapering was actually hitting the dirt last year. We finished up the year with, you know, that 10 year being 3.03. And if you talk about extracting money from the economy and all the doom and gloomers were telling us that, you know, we're all just going to explode and be nothing overnight because of that. And now the, the yields are lower and the rates are better. And, you know, we're still have that, um, the restoration trend of the jobs market and stuff. I mean, it, it feels like we're, we're sort of just chunking along and doing okay, but it wasn't supposed to be this way. If you listen to all the, the Debbie downers out there, I'm not a much, not much of a Debbie downer kind of, kind of guy, but I, I think your points are well taken. I think they're accurate. Um, I think that the move down in interest rates, if I were to guess, will eventually um, pop up. But even if, if mortgage rates are in the fours, I mean, if you talk to anybody 20 years ago and said, look, you can get a 4.5% mortgage and they're paying 10, who wouldn't have but, jumped on that? But the houses are 500 grand instead of 40. <laughs> yeah, that, well, yeah, that's true. But but nonetheless, those rates, I think, I've, I always felt people just have to adjust psychologically to not getting 35 because we got spoiled. Yeah, right? in, in 2003, um, it was big news that four and three quarters was a 50-year low in interest rates. Yeah, okay. yeah, now it, it went down to what, 1.6 on the 10-year note was a low? Yeah, yeah. Two, you know, I wanted to make a, an interesting observation in, in terms of what's interesting is you guys definitely work with the short term because you're working with getting people to lock in rates. Oh, I have to hang on the day to day. Yeah, 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 yeah. All day. Right. One good one good news release in the morning could totally whack an entire pipeline of ours. So we yeah. we have to be watching with acuity every little Absolutely. everything during the day. I mean, uh, the wrong time to go take a coffee break could find you in the, you know, the market going the there other way. Go. <laughs> yeah, the cycle of our process is 30 to 60 days and you're talking about years the, and years the and bumps years smoothing out over yeah, time yeah. and sometimes those bumps don't smooth out in 30 to yeah, 60 days and yeah. you like sometimes the bad stuff because the bad stuff brings on a bump up in the value of, of the uh, government bonds which brings down mortgage rates so you can lock in lower rates sure I mean, we're not exactly asking for like you know catastrophes <laughs> and things like that to happen but there there is always a little bit of an upside for us <laughs> there's that there's that old Chinese cliche, and that is, in crisis comes opportunity. Yeah. And and but it dawned on me as you were asking me questions about this stuff, which is really related to the mortgage industry in the short term. And I'm thinking, well, let's see. Twenty years from now, <laughs> I think the Dow will be at you know fifty thousand or something. Totally different kind of thinking, but similar in some ways. 
Folks, you've been listening to Mortgage Matters. We've got David Criden on the show today. He's a uh, financial planner with Blakesley and Blakesley, and you can get a hold of him this week if you want to. The number is five four four Plan. Uh, reach out to him. He'd love to hear from you. Thanks for having me on, guys. I sure appreciate it. Thanks Great for hour. being on. We'll have you again sometime soon. Thank really you. appreciate you taking My time pleasure. today. My pleasure. Guys, we'll be after this uh, short break. We'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. we got another hour to come, so do stick with us. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, you guys, welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. It's May 10th at 11.05. This is the uh, this is the first show of May that we've done uh, so far. We, we ran a rerun last week. I was out of here. I went up to Big Sur with some friends. Uh, it was my birthday. Happy late birthday. Thanks. Yeah. Monday was the birthday, so... We ran a rerun, and now it's feels good to be back. I miss this place. Even after a week, I I like doing the radio show. This crap studio. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'd prefer that it was like during the week or something, during like yeah. some business hours. Because as we sit here today, I'm I'm missing <laughs> a little league game, but yeah. you know, it's a trade off. Yeah, it's what you got to do. So that was a good first hour with David Crichton, and it got a little bit rushed there at the end um, as I, I just wanted to remind you guys that um, he's a David Crichton's a wealth of knowledge, and um, I enjoy his energy on the show, the way he has a that um, just a, a nice, good, energetic pace about him. Um, and I really do think that there's a, a big benefit there. I mean, this guy's been in uh, with Blakesley and Blakesley since 1983. That's a that's a pretty good run. He's been around for a while and um, seen a lot of markets and been through a lot of people. Um, you know, dealing with their successes and and likely failures and all those kinds of things. And I, I really think that there's a there's a guy. David Crichton's a guy that um, takes the time to to serve individual clients. And if you guys have any need or desire at all to talk to him, uh, the number is five four four plan. Um, I would encourage you. We we personally use um, the services of Blakesley and Blakesley, and um, I'm always thrilled with the level of care that we get in there. So, uh, little shout out there. He's a good guy. One of the my favorite things about Blakesley and Blakesley is that they'll work with any client. They don't have an account minimum. They'll work with you to grow you from whatever you have to you know some place where you can feel comfortable retiring. Which, by the way, I think that's smart. <laughs> we only want you once you've got a quarter million dollars. Um, 
you were probably working with some people to get that quarter million dollars. And what are the odds you're going to abandon them now? Um, it's, I think it's just good business to help those youngsters, uh, accumulate that wealth and, and get on that track. Uh, yeah. So anyways, um, I, I really did enjoy that first hour segment there. I thought it was a good time. And, um, I, I, was talking earlier about those home price gains and i i just wanted to go back to this for just a minute because um the stats involved in this article here really took me off guard um it said so this was this was in terms of um home price gains generally when you when your home is worth more it's appreciated or gone up in value that's when you start taking the cash out and it's not uh i would i would argue that's not generally a good idea to do that but economically speaking um we benefit from that when people pull money out and and use it to to buy goods or make improvements um to do remodeling or pick up a second property sometimes they take money out of their house to dump into their businesses so um there can be some good reasons for it but um Borrowers with conventional loans pulled out just six and a half billion worth of equity through cash out refinancing um, in the in the first quarter this year. Now, this according to Freddie Mac, um, the the number um, prior to the bubble popping here in a single quarter uh, that high of eighty four billion dollars a quarter. That was the second quarter in two thousand and six. That's a that's a pretty sobering number to me. Um, I it's wild to think that um, annualized people were hauling out um, almost a half a trillion dollars of equity out of the home, and then we we wondered how we got into the trouble that we got into um, using the ATM, the old home ATM. Uh, but it boosts consumer spending and creates a, a an economic time that really, I mean it got overheated and i think that was a big part of it um and then of course taking all that cash out of your house causes underwater people and um foreclosure boom and all that kind of stuff um i did though dan i thought it would be a good idea to talk a little bit about cash out refinancing and um why a person would or wouldn't consider that um earlier in the show i was talking a little bit about um one of the reasons we have a lack of inventory in the housing market today is because there are an awful lot of people that have a three, three and a quarter, three and a half percent, 30 year fixed. They don't want to sell. And um, so now you kind of get to that point of if you need money, what do you do? And if you end up redoing that loan, if you come in today and say that you need to get $50,000 cash out, but you have a 3% 30-year fixed that that already is in position, um, sure would be nice for you to be able to get, get to some money without disturbing that loan. Um, it's a little bit harder today than it was before. Yeah, definitely. The requirements are a lot stricter when it comes to cash out refinancing. Back before the the bubble burst in housing. I mean, you could basically cash out up to 100% of your home value. In fact, there were 
equity lines available up to 125% of your home's value because, of course, your home's just going to keep on appreciating. So no worries. And how uh, many times people walked in to get a normal mortgage and then you just you got a line of credit with it? They yeah. just they, they were doing a loan. Might as well do it, too, just in case you need it. If you never use it, don't worry about it. It doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. So, yeah, most people... You want the Egg McMuffin? We're throwing in a hash brown for yeah, free. Yeah, just might as well take it. We'll put it in the bag. If you don't want it, don't use it, you know? But it's in there. And and so we saw an awful lot of people getting those lines of credit. And um, But today, what it looks like... Um, you know, are people doing those lines of credit now? What I seem, I, I, I would say, sure, there are some lines of credit available. For the most part, the availability of a line of credit just isn't there like it was before. So we're not seeing nearly as much use of a line of credit. It seems like for the last five years, banks' comfort level when it comes to accessing equity is up to a maximum of 80% loan-to-value. And with interest rates being at these historic lows, it has made sense for people to refinance all of their mortgage financing into one new loan at, the low, at a record low interest rate and get as much cash as they need up to 80% loan-to-value. Sure. Now that so many people have refinanced into record low 3% interest rates going forward what are people going to do when they need cash are they going to have to redo their first hope not and get into a higher rate just to access equity no the banks realize that people want those loans for the long haul and the way to get equity is to reintroduce um, equity lines and, and closed end second liens as an option yeah well and you know um might as well just speak pretty freely about what what things look like today. You know, if you if you come in to get qualified to buy a house today, uh, maybe you only have ten percent down payment. More than likely, what we're going to discuss in our office is doing ten uh, percent down with like a borrower paid mortgage insurance, with the idea that. Over time, through your paying the loan down as well as some market appreciation, that that mortgage insurance would go away once you have the equity. Um, over at Wells Fargo, people are being counseled today to do an 80% first and a 10% second. And that second is a variable rate line of credit. And uh, in that situation, I, I would suggest that that's a bad idea. Um, I... I think that you're better off to get it all under one good fixed low rate and then have the mortgage insurance that you, I mean, you, you'll you have it for a finite amount of time. You, you know that you're going to have it. You can depend on it on the amortization. Once you hit uh, a 78% loan to value, that mortgage insurance stops automatically. It's required to by law. But if you make additional payments like every month or maybe lump sums, like you throw your bonus at it every year or something, um, and it's and maybe even in some market appreciation, there's a challenge process to make it go away. So that that's a, a little bit more safe and controlled than using a variable rate line of credit where you you know that's not just your only option when you're. Talking, though, about somebody that, that owns a house and needs to refi, getting a, 
because um, you need some cash out, getting a variable rate line of credit is a pretty good deal, um, provided that you're not that you don't need a ton of cash and that also you don't really anticipate having a real long-term need for it. I think if you're looking at taking $250,000 out and you know you're going to need it for 15 years or something, you might be better off to just redo a good fixed rate loan um, into something that's going to have more interest costs today but doesn't have that potential downside into the future. Yeah, I think I think when you're looking at financing a home purchase, there's a lot of different options, including, you know, the mortgage insurance options that might be a little safer. I think the the accessing equity with an equity line is really going to be a great solution for someone who's already refinanced into a a 3% interest rate on their first and doesn't want to touch it. They want to ride that one out for as long as they can but they want to have some access to equity. Maybe they're sending a kid to college. Uh, maybe, maybe that's the reason they don't have the savings um, to, to handle that expense. Maybe they want to do a remodel on their house. Um, that's a great reason to access home equity. I do not advocate for funding the family vacation, buying no. the boat or motor home. I don't think those are good um, reasons for accessing home equity and financing a debt like that over 30 years or 25 years or however long the term of the equity line is. That's just not good use of I, I heard early in my career that it's um, rarely a good idea to make short-term debt, long-term debt. And when people come in and they say, well, you know, I would do this refinance. Should I pay off my car and my credit cards and put all this stuff in there? It's like, well, you could. That's an option. However, making short-term debt, long-term debt like that um, is just going to cost you a lot more money over time. And you're, you're in a, the other thing is that you're in an interesting spot. If you've racked up some debt that you're having trouble managing, and then, um, we just pay it off and roll it into your house. What's going to prevent you from doing that a second time around? And, and sadly, a lot of those people come back that next time too. And I see grown adults come into my office and say, yeah, I ran the credit cards up again and I bought another car like they just uh they, they it's almost like they they weren't responsible for their like awake actions they just went and had something happen to them and so they're doing it a second time and I'll see them a third time back you know like they just can't learn their lesson and so that's another great reason to not do that. If you're if your credit cards and all that are, are maxed out because you're struggling with the budget, you should figure out how to solve the budget problems rather than just dump it all into the house and get rid of the payments. Yeah. I mean, debt consolidation is probably the number one reason that people would access equity in their home. And for all the reasons you said, it's not a good practice because it, it kind of, there's a cycle that occurs. And, and people kind of forget the problems they were in and, and get back into those same habits. But if you're drowning in debt, drowning in those monthly payments just to meet your minimums and, and there's like no light at the end of the tunnel to pay off the credit cards, then, and you can make a substantial dent in that. And then you can continue to make the same higher payments to pay down the principal of those debts faster. I would say that's a good reason, but you have to have a plan and you have to stick to sure. it. Sure. I was going to say, too, Dan, that it, a line of credit, though, is not a bad idea in some of those situations where if the credit cards are 15 to 20 percent 
and then you break out, you know, five different cards that you owe ten thousand dollars on, the minimum payment on that fifty thousand dollars worth of cards as you're paying them five times might be close to a thousand bucks a month. And a lot of it going to interest because those rates are so high. If you had a $50,000 line of credit today, the monthly payment on that single $50,000 line is likely to be close to $120 or $140. If you kept paying the 1000 bucks you were paying, it's not going down the interest hole. It's quickly eating away at the principal. Um, could be a better way to tackle it than than just leaving it on the credit cards itself. I think the critical thing here is to understand the options and to give real care to the the reason why you're doing what you're doing. And uh, and I I think the other safety net in these times is that the banks aren't willing to go up to ninety and a hundred and over a hundred percent of your loan to value. They're they're capping you right now at about 80%, some situations, 90. In fact, I'm, I'm starting to hear from some of our investors that they're looking at opening up a 90% um, loan to value equity line. Yep. Um, but you know, you're not gonna be able to max out the value of your home. You know what I was gonna say before you brought up safety net reminded me that um, when you do have to pay off credit cards like that to qualify, like those guys that are run so thin, um, for the last few years here, there's been a requirement in, in the loan programs that you, that you close those credit cards when you pay them off. So it's like, yeah, we'll let you pay off your discover card to qualify for this loan. But when it's paid off through close, the account is closing so that you can't run it up on yourself again. And did you see this week though, the change in the Freddie Mac guidelines that's now allowing it to remain open? Mm -hmm. I did. I kind of thought to myself, you hear a lot of people say, um, oh, well, the banks aren't loaning money and the guidelines are so strict. And then every time somebody from the National Association of Realtors is talking, they're looking for some loosening of the credit guidelines and stuff. And I see these little things get snuck in and nobody really talks about them. Well, this is the beginning of that pendulum swinging back um, when it comes to credit guidelines they've been so strict for so long and and it's this type of move that's the beginning of well it allows you to to create maybe a little more volume where it wasn't before mm -hmm. loosen up those guidelines a little bit i mean that's a deal you drag in the net right we're all dragging the net and if you are having trouble catching fish get a bigger net let those guidelines relax a little bit. You're going to catch more people um, with their circumstances able to qualify. So we're definitely going to see more of the return of the, the line of credit. Um, if you guys are ever looking at getting a line of credit or considering um, that as an option, you know, I'll be frank with you. There, there aren't a lot of sources for them that we have to work with. In fact, there's only a handful of banks that we could offer uh, but we're happy to give you some counsel and advice about whether or not what you're doing is the right thing to do. Um, you know, it, there's, there's kind of a lot of careful thought that goes into it. Sometimes when you have that 30 year fix, that's at three and a quarter percent and you really don't want to give it up because that's such a good deal, but you really need 50 grand. Sometimes there's another creative solution though, about 
maybe going into a 15-year fixed where you still could get that same interest rate, get a little bit of cash out, but shorten your loan term too. Um, it depends what your individual circumstances are, what the goals are for you know the need to get the money uh, and the, the plan to repay it. So there's, a, there's a, just a variety of ways of looking at it, and we're always happy to, to help you guys out even if it doesn't result in in doing transactional business. Um, just this week, I met with a couple that uh, I seem to meet with every few months, and they're not ready to do a deal. Um, I, I think I sense that they would like to, but they're just, they keep working on the stuff, and we get together a lot just to run through, um, you know, different scenarios and the cost of this and whether or not that's a good idea. And, uh, I think it's a good service, so we're we're happy to offer that to anybody that might need it. Should we take a break? It's probably about time. Let's break it. All right, it's eleven twenty-four. We're gonna take a quick commercial break. This is just a short one, so you only have a opportunity here to maybe get a fresh cup of coffee or glass of water or something. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. Refi or refinance a home. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. No, I would 
All right, guys, welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. Thanks for being with us. Happy Mother's Day again to all the moms out there. Most important job in the world, huh, Dan? Totally. It's one I mean, of the you... hardest jobs in the world, too, I think. Yeah, but, I mean... <laughs> Seriously. Seldom found a more fulfilling job, though, right? That's, a more noble yeah. profession. Yeah. Your I mom's mean, probably listening right now. Anything you want to say to your mom on uh, national radio? Wow, you just put me on the spot. National radio, wow. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know that it's <laughs> national. <laughs> sure, you could be listening to this in another um, state across the nation. Sure, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Actually, international, technically. Yeah. I do love my mom, and I, I'll wish her a early happy Mother's Day. There you go. Me too. You got big plans? For Mother's Day? Yeah. Um, we're going to my mother-in-law's house for breakfast oh good okay do some breakfast hang out my mom's so far away and she almost never listens to the radio show but if you are mom i love you happy mother's day my wife believes that um tomorrow is wives day so (laughs) i'm really Really? yeah i feel like she should save that for a day where there is no other I'm, ex- milk I'm expected um, to to really like pony up here and yeah. and do great things for Mother's Day for my wife. Does she reciprocate for fathers slash husbands? Yeah, day? she really does. Okay, I mean, and, better listen to and it, the yes. kids are like getting older now, where they're able to like. I mean, I'm at the point in my house. This is different than your house, Dan. I'm at the point in my house where my kid could get up in the morning and go in and like make pancakes and bacon or something totally unsupervised without fear of like any disaster at all and so um but in years past though when you're when your son can't do that and it's mother's day you have to get up and go make the pancakes and so there's all that uh you know that's that part where it it is kind of like wives day because you're assisting a little child and so I'm waiting for the torch to be fully handed off where I can just be the recipient of breakfast in bed on Mother's Day by one of the kids, you know? I think, Jason, you need to kind of listen to what your wife has to say about it because you might be sorry if you don't. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I mean, she's a shining example, though, always goes above and beyond for, like, you know, the Father's Day thing. But it is fun, though. It's a good time. See, you didn't even know we could talk about Mother's Day for three minutes, did you? (laughs) So I uh, I I was driving in um, to the show this morning. And I was just thinking, you know, I had a good week. I felt like I had a good week. I I got um, got some new loans, got some loans approved that were tough loans, and um, got some loans uh, to close that just was. It was a good week. I felt like I had all the little battles turned out to be successes this week for me, and. Um, and I, I was just refreshed by that, and I knew that that would uh, impact, you know, my spirit a little bit today on the show. And as you could tell, I'm feeling energetic and a little bit punchy. Um, that's that's where I I live when I'm in a good mood. I'm always the outrageous one. Talk too much too, but um, only when you're in a good mood. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise I'm probably pretty quiet. Yeah. I was um but so I was thinking about that, you know, was some of the things that happened this week too are just worth sharing about 
um, some of the successes that were had. And, and, and it occurred to me that several of them are a result just of the structure of our company, the way that we have so many funding sources. And um, so first of all, one of the one of the transactions that we had in here was a um, a, a great realtor that um, I love getting referrals from and doing business with came to me for her personal loan. And um, we sat down and looked at it together and just couldn't qualify her, honestly. I mean, it, the way that the whole thing shaped up was just um, her income average because last year was not a very good year. Um, the 2012 taxes that is, and the 2013s were a lot better. And, um, and then I, I just had this moment where I was like, you know, we, we have the ability to do one year tax return loans. And it's something that I know about, but, um, just, it doesn't come up that often. And this was a case where it just fit perfectly. So in the middle of the meeting, I was doing all the math and I'm like, shoot, this just doesn't add up. And then it, 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 right there in the middle, I was like, you know what? It just occurred to me that we can give a shot at doing this loan on the one-year tax return program. And, and what it means is I can't tell you definitely right now whether or not it's going to work. I got to go run an automated engine and make sure that everything goes um, smoothly through there. And if it does, um, I'll let you know. And um, so I ran it through the automated underwriting engine and we got an approval to do one year tax returns. So this person that really absent of that program wouldn't be able to qualify for a loan was able to qualify. And um, that is truly something that that's kind of unique to our company because we're not just representing one bank and most banks don't want to do that. You know, that two years of uh, income tax history is a way to sort of get comfortable with somebody's stability. And that's how you really derive a, a, an ability to repay. Um, but there are uh, the guidelines actually allow only a 12 month review um, in certain cases where people have good reserves and good credit and um, making a good down payment or have good equity. And so I just, that was, that was just one example that I really thought that I would share. I know that there are people in our County that, um, want to buy a home, but are struggling on qualifying. This recession has been kind of hard on a lot of people, you know, and the, uh, 2013 taxes are all just filed, right? I mean, we all just went through that last, last month in April. And so, know that it's possible to get a loan on only your 2013 taxes. If 2012 was still a drag because you were still recovering and couldn't get it together, um, you're a good candidate to call us and talk about qualifying for a loan. Um, you don't always have to have that two-year average. And, and so I just really wanted to, to make sure that everybody was well aware of that. I think it's a big deal. Um, there's so many people that would benefit from that if it was a little bit more widely known that that's possible. Another another loan file that I got this week that was um, really a, a, another representation of why the structure of our company, the way that we're affiliated with so many different banks, proved to be powerful for another client was some folks that wanted to buy a home 
they really wanted to make the condo that they live in, they wanted to turn it into a rental property, but they, they needed to use those would-be rents to qualify, you know, to offset the mortgage they have against that house. And um, most of the banks, if you're going to use rental income to qualify for a loan, they want to know that you have landlord experience and they use your tax returns look at the last two years to make sure that you know how to pick a tenant, move them in, how to collect the rents, do the maintenance, and, and sort of manage the whole deal. Otherwise, they, they don't want you to qualify with the rents. They want you to be able to qualify with both payments. Most of the banks are going to hold you to that landlord history requirement. And honestly, I think it makes sense. I understand what it's based in. Um, but there are an awful lot of banks out there that um, don't care about the landlord experience. They want to document equity in that house that you're going to rent out to know that you're not, um, you know, going to struggle with being a landlord and then not be able to sell it too, or that you might have some ulterior motivation there. But um, so we have banks that we work with that will allow us to count those rents for somebody that has no demonstrated history of being a landlord. So these clients of mine came from one of the big banks where they were just told no. You can't buy a home and they have um, a growing family and we're outgrowing their condo and found a home that they were really excited about buying and were told no by the local bank and uh, well, it was a national bank, but here in town. And so I sat them down, did the whole thing and um, got to a bank that I knew would accept it. And uh, we got them in escrow and their loan is approved and we're um, we're moving towards uh, them buying this new house. That was really cool. And and you can't imagine how excited they are. They didn't know, you know, at that point what to do because they were staring down the idea of having to sell that condo they had. And that was never their plan. They, they made a good down payment in the condo um, with the idea that it was a starter home for them and would be an investment property. It's always been their plan. And when they left the bank, the banker told them, you got to sell the condo or you will not buy another house. And they thought, man, well, that, that was against everything we wanted to do. And the other part of it is that today, it's a little bit freaky to sell a house and plan on buying another one right at the close of escrow because the inventory is tight. Usually you want to get an escrow on the new house before you let go of the one that you're in if you intend to sell. So not only did these people never want to sell, but they also didn't want to be subject to that problem in the market of selling and then finding a replacement residence. So that wasn't just another great example of what it means to work with a company like ours where we put that focus on working for our clients rather than just a bank. We don't only sell one bank's products. Um, I like to think that I sell my client's loan package to um, the bank most willing and able to lend on it. Uh, it has nothing to do with my trying to market a product for a bank. And honestly, our, our clientele benefit from that. Yeah, there. I mean, sometimes a client just doesn't need a unique guideline to qualify and it's only about getting the best rate so you know we have and what 30 40 banks at our disposal some of them specialize in 
offering the lowest rate. Some of them specialize in creative finance. Yeah, solutions. and you know what I was going to say, as long as you're, you're on that topic, is those little things that I'm describing, one year's tax returns or using rents where there's no landlord history, there's a variety of little things like that. Those are riskier. Those are a kind of making an allowment for something that doesn't fit the normal conservative, um, most conservative practices in lending. And so because of that, you are generally going to a bank where the, if they're willing to tolerate a little bit more risk, they're not generally um, going to be the lowest possible interest rate. And I don't mean to suggest that you're talking like hard money type of financing or anything. Um, those banks that do that for us, those are the ones that compete with like the Wells Fargo Bank of America, um, all of that kind of stuff. If you're just talking like something where a W-2 employee um, with equity and nothing funky at all, just needing no accommodation, just going for the, the price leader, the banks we use for people like that blow the doors off of Wells Fargo and, and those type of banking establishments. So um, again, just in summary, it's one of these things where we can pair a borrower's needs and attributes with a program that not only tolerates it, but is as competitively priced as can be um, why are you smirking? At I'm me? just thinking of the commercial that played in the last break. You know, we have all these options. We can broker, we can bank. We don't know what to call it. You'll call it amazing. <laughs> I just love that spot. So you're just laughing at that? Yeah. <laughs> just laughing at me? I just think it's a good spot. Those new commercials, by the way, were like written by me in front of the microphone it was and good. voiced like all three of them in like less than 20 minutes and it's just proof that voiced. you do your best work under pressure sign of a true radio professional that's right well i mean i i have been toying with this idea though and you and i have talked about it before we've even marketed ever so slightly is that um there's a difference between a banker and a broker there just truly is and um you know, as long as we're speaking frankly, which we really do a lot of on this show, most of the time being a banker is just a, it's a heck of a lot more profitable, period. You can hide profits and you tend to make bigger premiums and it's, um, you know, all you got more control and all these things. But the reality of it is, is that there's more money to be made in the banking model than there is in the broker model. And yeah. I think the difference in process between the two channels is minimal. It's minimal. It's kind of laughable that anybody would 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 argue that that's the big point. But like then on the so what happens, though, is that a company comes out um, before you could be a bank, you can be a broker. And not anybody could be a broker. I mean, you got to have um, a good resume based in in loans in one fashion or another with with some relevant experience. And also, um, not only do they look at your resume, but they run your credit and look at your financials and your assets and make sure that you're a good character risk to be out there selling their products. Okay, but if you meet that basic criteria and you become a loan broker you have all these different products at your disposal. And um, so that you sort of establish yourself as the guy that um, has the ability to do a niche. 
And what's the niche? You tell me, I got them all. You need the very cheapest deal? No problem. Lowest possible interest rate? Got it every day. Whoa, you have a, a foreclosure 12 months ago? Um, need a new loan today? We can do that. It's not gonna be the lowest possible rate, but there's a way to get it done. So what you come to realize is that the mortgage broker is so nimble. They work in um, an arena of banks where uh, the guidelines and what's possible seems endless. And it really takes a dynamic person to be able to be well aware of all of them and to be a really good, effective broker. At some point along the way, most brokers start going down the banker road. They get big, they get successful. There's this talk about getting in-house control and you can make more money and doing all this thing. And then at the end of the day, it, it turns out to be about the money. They can make more money. And so one of the things that you start to see happen is they broker less and they bank more. And then how do you, how do you make that transition? Usually you pay your salespeople. I'll give you 50 cents for that brokered loan and I'll give you a dollar if you bank it. And that then incents the whole sales staff to start changing who and sort of steering the clientele into doing a banked loan instead of a brokered loan. And um, so I give you all this as background. I know I'm long-winded, but about those commercials, um, we're making a very conscious effort to straddle the fence, to have the ability to broker so that we can do anything and everything, and also to have the ability to do some banked loans because while the process is wildly similar, the, the docs and funding component to a banked loan is a little bit more control, pushing the button on go um, with more anonymity than relying on somebody else. So there 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 is a little bit of benefit there, but um, we're still paying our loan officers the same for both encouraging them to stay up on all the brokered relationships and know what all of those transactions were capable of are. I mean, this is how we're able to offer lines of credit and construction financing and mobile home financing and those 12 months after a foreclosure and, you know, to be able to do VA and USDA and to, to be able to do a 12 month tax returns or a borrower with um, no credit score, all these all these really unique things, we really feel like if somebody's lendable, you can come into our company and get a loan. If you're not lendable, um, we can't help you. But um, our, our whole array of who's lendable, who we have an available program for, who we can get financed, uh, that's a lot bigger than just one little bank. It doesn't matter if your little bank is Wells Fargo, they've got some more conservative overlays to things they're not willing to tolerate or things they're not willing to do, or frankly, just things they're unaware of. They do they do their deals. They understand there's some other companies that do things a little bit differently, but they don't care. They're doing billions of dollars of loans a month, and they don't have to be constantly keeping on the cutting edge, unlike someone like us who that's where we find our relevance, is being on the cutting edge, being the most affordable, being the most nimble, being the most diverse in product offering and being able to, to do things that other people can't do. So 
a big long rant though about the fact that that's why I had a good week this week. I, I was able to get some things done for some people that um, were struggling elsewhere. And I was driving home last night. I was like, man, that was a good week. I felt excited. I was like kind of excited to go back to work next week and see what else I could accomplish. You know, that as you know, I got kind of beat up for the prior couple weeks. We had uh, email snafu and little like, you know, just different things going on um, with more or less the technology side of the company. And um, I didn't have enough offsetting loan successes. And I just was, I was feeling hammered, frankly. So I felt better this week. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You'll call it amazing. We need to do the final commercial break here of the show. Stick around and uh, we'll be back to close up this episode of Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you buy your next home. We promise to close on time, on budget, with no surprises. Give Central Coast Lending a call today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Mother's Day to all mothers named Mary. 
to all the Marys out there. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> I guess it's Paul McCartney's mother, Mary. Who knows? Oh, is that Paul McCartney? Well, the Beatles, yeah. <laughs> That's the Beatles? Kind of, you know, a little known band. Yeah, yeah. I heard might have about heard them. of them. Yeah. I took a really cool class at Cal Poly. It was the Beatles class. Really? It fulfilled my music requirement um, for graduation. It was such a great class. What'd you learn? Um, just, it was basically a history of the Beatles from their formation as a group to, we learned about their song structure and how their structure developed as they got into Eastern philosophy and and things like that introduce new instruments into their music and huh. new um, structures of songs. You know, they always started out as a very formulaic type of that, what, three-minute song sure. formula. And then they, as they got more sophisticated as a band, they, they changed and adapted and tried new things. And How much time really did cool. they spend covering um, Yoko and her impact on the band? <laughs> very little. I mean, it, it was definitely part of it because... Yeah. I, I mean that was as they started to get weird but it was really <laughs> yeah. cool we watched a couple of their movies and i mean it was a neat class that's fun yeah Hard interesting and one of the finest academic schools in the nation one of your biggest impression so far is the beatles class. that wasn't the biggest impression <laughs> it's just the most relevant right now okay <laughs> That's pretty fun. I actually saw that they had that offering. And, and as you said that, I was trying to remember what I did. And I don't recall what I did. It wasn't offered every quarter. In fact, I tried to crash a different class before that, a Stanley Kubrick film class. Um, and I couldn't get in. It was too impacted. So you had to settle so I had for to the wait. Beatles? I had to wait the next quarter. And the next quarter, the thing that most appealed to me was that Beatles class. And I was able to get into that one. Huh. I really can't recall at all what I did at Cal Poly to fulfill that requirement. <laughs> I'm totally yeah. at a loss. That's strange. Crazy. I remember, though, that there was... I remember, like, kids in my class were talking about taking, like, um, you know, like, jazz history classes and things like that, but I never did. I don't remember what I did. Hmm. I'm going to go home and look at my transcripts. This might be the reason they can't... You had a hard day's night before. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get back to the serious stuff here. You know that thanks thanks all for the Beatles thing, and you know that's that's awesome. Appreciate that. We talked uh, a little bit about this with David. You know, I I usually love the first show of the month because of the jobs report. So I, I think we should just spend a couple minutes here to go back over this. Um, the the employment numbers for uh, the month of April were pretty good. I mean, venture to say great. And with totally out of context, not knowing about the sluggish winter and that this is like the thaw. And yeah, the numbers themselves up were, demand. were headline worthy. Um, Looking pretty good. 288,000 jobs added in the month of April. Equally important, though, were upward revisions for both February and March. Um, Non-farm payrolls were projected to be plus 218,000 um, and then actually came out 288. That is a staggering uh, number, especially just shattering expectations. And the, how about that sexy unemployment rate? 
6.3. I bet you've never heard that called sexy before. It's 6.3%. Yeah, it fell a tenth of a percent from 6.7 to 6.6. Or I'm sorry, it was expected to fall a tenth of a point from 6.7 to 6.6. Comes out at 6.3. If you're just driving by that headline, you might be like, awesome. That's all really good news. When you look a little bit deeper into it, it's due to a significant decline in the labor force, which to me um, is kind of a fascinating thing. How do you create so many jobs and then at the exact same period have a decline in the employment rate because of a lack of participation? It just goes to show you that the the employment market is, is we're begging for more jobs and not only more jobs, but more head of household jobs. Um, there's jobs being created and you know, I don't remember if it was you or David, but brought it up is that, um, you first gotta be working towards full employment before you can expect to regain the head of household job. So I would call that normal. That seems fine to me. Um, really looking forward to seeing the next few, months in a row um about just adding jobs i'll take a i'll take that that problem of people giving up and the problem of them not being head of household jobs i think that's okay those are issues that will sort themselves out once we get the country back to gainfully employed and everybody with the confidence of knowing that that's the case, that that it's okay for you to spend money, to grow your business, for you to be a little bit of a consumer, to have all that stuff happen because there's going to be some underlying success to the overall um, economy, which just instills that confidence. Um, I was reading an article this week that said that um, – don't be surprised if second quarter GDP is 5%. Wow. That's pretty wild. Um, this last week here, we got a reading of the first quarter GDP, um, essentially flat, really no growth. And um, it's blamed on the winter, a lot less than anybody was hoping for. Um, but kind of a, a strange thing nonetheless so we'll be paying close attention to that of course there's more readings to come on that too but folks in the interim um over the last month here we've had uh some i don't want to say substantial it's all in a tight little range but we've seen some improvement in mortgage rates and so um it's a it's a great time if you are uh needing to potentially refinance. I suspect there's a lot of people that have loans that have adjusted and you're in your adjustment period where your payment's a little less than it was a year ago. Um, that is a gravy train. You're not going to be able to ride for too long. At some point, consider uh, refinancing. Um, I'd love to counsel you about it. I mean, one of my options for you is if you're an adjustable loan that's adjusted down below 3% and you like where you're at, Let's get a new five-year adjustable. Just lock in another five years while that fixed period is still as low. Those things are right around 3% right now, and it guarantees you five more years of that. And if you are getting lighthearted and don't want to gamble on those adjustables anymore, let us put you into a fix. We've got some great low rates on the fixed loans there. Um, touching back down into the really low four range. So um, remember last June when rates were extremely low and then they jumped up about a full percentage point. 
maybe that's coming again. Possibly. If you have any interest at all or any need, if you're interested in getting pre-qualified, want to know if there's even a viable plan there for you, give us a call. The number to the office is 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Also invite you to check us out on the web at centralcoastlending.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Take care, everyone.